1: Hey everyone, you know the guest of today's flashback episode from Black Monday, Veep, The League, and a lot more. Here's Paul Shear.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris.
1: Your resting face is usually a (laughs) smile. It is the best.
3: (laughs) You know what? I'll take it. You know, today was started off as like a rough day.
1: Tell us about the rough day.
3: I just think it's like every now and then you'll just get up and it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. It was just set out that everything I did was going to backfire a little bit today. And I'm trying to break it. I don't know how to break it, but I'm aware of it. Like I'm not rolling into it. I feel like in the past I would roll into a bad day and be like, fuck it. Here, let's go for it. But I was able to tell my wife, my beautiful wife, I was able to say like, hey, I'm in a bad mood. I was like, I'm not bringing any of this to you. Because normally I would try to sit on it and be like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. No, I'm like, I'm going to be very open about it. But I'm in a good mood. I'm seeing you. This is lovely. It's perfect.
1: You know, I recently have been doing press for the first time in years. And I was really proud of myself because... I've always gone into it with, like, an incredibly bad attitude. Right. I get anxious about it. I don't like being myself. Yeah. I always feel like, did I actually say anything? Like, I think I summed up the movie, sort of. And the other day, I was like, I'm going to approach this like this is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a great time.
3: This is what we need to do. We need to reset our minds.
1: (sighs) But it's hard, though.
3: It is. Somebody described it to me like this. I will share with you my new way of looking at it. It's like, you know that things are going bad or you can start to feel it. Like it's starting to be like, okay, I'm feeling that anxiety. I'm feeling this, whatever it is, whatever part of your life, you know, when you're feeling like you're sabotaging yourself. Picture a waiter kind of coming over to your table and he's got like a cocktail of all the things that are going to like mess you up, like your fear, your anxiety, whatever. And it's like, just try to push that person away from you. Like sometimes you have to like physically just be like, okay, I'm out. Get it out of your body. That image has really helped me just be like, okay, I'm moving away from this person instead of embracing this cocktail because I'm going to be miserable today.
1: At some point, if you like smile enough. Yeah. (laughs) Which was how we started this conversation was with your smile. And I was thinking about how your daily interactions with strangers must be really welcoming.
3: You know, there are some things that people react to. I feel like it's nice to smile at people. I don't think I even do it intentionally, but I feel like people want a conversation starter. I feel like the gap in my teeth really allows people like a safety i don't know if it always comes out but people are like uh, oh. like i get a lot of that like hey oh hey i see it like as if i'm i'm not hiding it i feel like it lets people's guard down like i imagine like blonde hair people are like oh all right yeah i can get comfortable here
1: when i was brunette for the scary movies people treated me completely differently that's so
3: interesting. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about you the other day because I did the show with Regina, who you did Scary Movie with. I love Regina
1: so very much.
3: And I was like, that franchise was so lucky because the two of you are like ridiculously funny. Like Paul. I've gotten to know Regina because of the show. And I think of her as being one of the funniest. And I already knew that you're one of the funniest. But together, like, what a beautiful bit of casting that I feel like... I don't know. Just really looking at that going like that was the best casting I've seen.
1: That means so much to me because I don't know if the franchise recognized it. Oh, we were inexpensive and we loved working together. And I do think we had an odd kismet thing. Yes. I mean, the friendship made no sense in general. Yeah, there is a particular challenge in playing something so illogical (laughs) with sincerity.
3: (laughs) But it worked in a way. Look, no shade to anything. But after you two weren't there, it's less interesting to me. Like that was the thing that grounded it. That's the thing that brings you forward.
1: Thanks.
3: By the way, I want to ask one other question because this goes back to what you said before, and I don't want to lose it because you are incredibly funny. Obviously, people know that. Have you ever had to be in a role where you have to be laughing at the guy and he's not that funny? And I feel like that's like the cliche thing, like, oh, sometimes women are just cast to be like, (laughs) the giggler. Yeah, the giggler.
1: Like, I am the one who lets the audience know how they're supposed to feel. Right. So if I'm like looking quizzically at the guy (laughs) who just did something a little bit odd, you know,
3: I love that.
1: I feel lucky that I haven't had too many roles like that. On the other hand, I do think you can make the reactions between lines their own jokes within reason.
3: (laughs) I 100% agree. And that made me think of like a studio audience. It's like the same thing. It's like the studio audience is cueing you to laugh because that's a funny joke and you need them there to make it feel like this is comedy. And it's such a weird thing that we have to do to show people, no, 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 that's the moment. That is it.
1: Yeah, and there were a lot of moments in the first season of Mom that I didn't understand that. Yeah. Like I didn't understand the musicality. Like I would try to spin, a line yeah a lot of the lines were really funny but we were supposed to wait for the home run knockout joke oh interesting and usually allison had that sometimes jamie presley but it took me a minute to figure that element out
3: yeah that's a hard thing because it's like math
1: oh completely it's surgical yeah it's like beep 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 and word perfect
3: That never works for me. I can't do that. I am a writer. I respect writing. But when people are so committed to a word choice or something, it's like, I bet you I can still get that laugh if you just let me do it in my way. But it's a weird thing. It's a control thing a lot of the times, or at least I find it to be.
1: I found that element really tough for me.
3: Yeah. Now, did you have a good time on this movie? This is not me giving you a press interview, but did you have a good time? So you haven't done press in a long time. Did you do this movie with terrible, crazy COVID protocols?
1: I was at a place truly like during quarantine where I didn't know my relationship with performing anymore. Mm. For the first time in my life, I was always a really quiet kid and... I wouldn't describe myself as shy because it wasn't that. I was mad.
3: Yeah, I love that.
1: (laughs) A mad teenager.
3: Are you like stewing? Are you like scribbling in notebooks? Like, Oh, yeah. Very emo.
1: Like I went through this stage where I wore a Christmas tree skirt as a cape to school.
3: Amazing.
1: It was almost like... I need to be overt with my resistance. I had very few friends. They called the drama kids bat cavers. Wow. You know, before the idea of, I guess, fame being so alluring.
3: I would never have cast you in this role, this high school role. This is blowing my mind.
1: People were shocked. Like the hometown people, they're the only ones I think that understand why comedy feels like this elusive, hysterical joke being played on me. Yes. But it's made me a happier person.
3: I love that. What was your change? Like, when did you feel like you went from being that angry person? Because I think of you, like you said, like, oh, you have a smile. Like I think of you as being like somebody who is not always happy because always happy seems like you're not experiencing life. But I mean, somebody who is more on the happy side than the angry side.
1: Yeah. Well, Scary Movie was my first audition. What? Yeah, I flew down for it. Okay. I flew myself down for it. (laughs) I sent in a tape. I didn't have an agent. I had a manager in L.A. Yeah. I had just gotten this manager like three weeks prior. I had just graduated from University of Washington. I wanted to go into advertising. I wanted to write novels. Okay. I had been acting from a young age, but college, I was like, I'm not going to ever make this. This is just going to destroy me, you know?
3: Yeah, of course.
1: So I graduated and called, like, everybody in Seattle that I knew in the acting world asking for any kind of connection in Los Angeles. Because I thought I thought if I'm going to do it, I should do it now. I should wait tables in Los Angeles. And right. if I'm happy at the end of the year of waiting tables, then... You know, maybe I'll stick it out.
3: I like this idea because I think a lot of people do this thing where they say, I'm going to give myself a year to make it. And everything that I know about this business is it's like a constant, like planting of crops.
1: Completely.
3: And it's sort of unfair to say to anybody like one year or, you know, I've heard a lot of those ultimatums. And I like that you said, "Will i be happy because there is a truth to that being like, hey, I've made a little bit of movement, but I'm not miserable. It's not like if I don't make my first movie in one year, I'm out. That always feels so heady to me. And it's like it misses out on all the fun of what this is and why we do this.
1: I steeped myself in cynicism. Yeah. I had already faced enough rejection that felt painful, like for the stuff that I really cared about. My parents were much more naive. When I told them that I wasn't going to pursue acting in college, I remember them being a little bit sad about it. But I just didn't want to put myself through all the heartbreak. Yeah. If I were ever to get an award for anything... The first person I would thank is Kenan Ivory Wayans for giving me a career. I mean, I was such a long shot.
3: I always believe that movies and TV, like we've made this mistake in a way where we're just casting faces that we know and giant faces that we know. And we're not letting the audience kind of find their new favorite people. And I feel like the best shows, the best movies that we respond to, you know, whether it is Scary Movie or like when The Hangover came out or even like a show that I did, like with The League, it's like... Oh, The League is so great. Oh, thanks so much. But it's like people don't know us and then they get to find us and then they feel like ownership over that. You know, it's really hard because you come in with so much baggage when you're like, we're going to cast Meryl Streep as the star of Scary movies. And It's like you come in too much. It's like you, it's like, oh, you were right for the part. And then we get to find you and then we love you. And then that's a big part of like entertainment, getting to become fans.
1: I love how you just put that. And when I found out I got the role, I auditioned all week. I slept on a couch and like Los Angeles was completely new. Right. In every way. I was broke. I thought I was only staying for one day, so I didn't have any clothes. I remember going to the Gap and like buying a new outfit and feeling like, fuck, I don't have the money for this.
3: Oh my God. It's so crazy, like the way that you watched, or at least the way I watched money when I was first starting out. Not to say like, hey, hey, forget about it now. But it's like my friend, me and Jack McBrayer, we would buy like a foot long Subway sandwich and be like, that's two to three meals right there. You cut that in half. You can save on that. Or McDonald's had these like dollar
1: cheeseburgers. Like, yes. Yeah. You needed that. Because it's like, I didn't have any money. Like the transportation factor was completely new. I was like begging a new friend to drive me every day from Burbank out to uh, those studios down on Olympic.
3: Oh man, it was a Sony or something. Like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It wasn't the Sony studios, but it was right in that area. Anyway, that Friday after like auditioning for that whole week first for Shannon Elizabeth's role, Buffy. Okay. Because they really wanted a brunette. I was like still a shaggy blonde right. and Buffy felt even though I hadn't done comedy, nor did I want to pursue it. It felt like that wasn't much more obvious role when they asked me on like Wednesday to start auditioning for Cindy Campbell that was like, what do I do with this?
3: So interesting. yeah. There's
1: no jokes. So I just did the only thing I could, which was, of course, be very sincere, which is my only strategy approaching comedy.
3: <laughs> but, you know, I have a theory about this, too. Like I was thinking about the naked gun or like Leslie Nielsen, when he was in that role, what was so good about him was he was incredibly Funny, but not playing it funny. And I feel like a lot of the times you see people, I'm in a comedy, so blah, 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 you know, it's big. And the grounded stuff works so well. And that's why I think comedians can also do serious work because it's the same thing. You're just grounded. It just happens to be the other stuff around you is bizarre. Right. But you don't have to be like, what? You know, you don't have to be like that, you know? And I don't know. I think that that's what's so great about you.
1: Thanks. David Zucker used to say, you can never wink at the audience.
3: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. And that was Leslie's amazing gift.
3: Well, it's like when we did NTSF, SDSUV, which was like a parody of like CSI and all this sort of stuff on Adult Swim, like that was our whole rules. Like we're just playing this straight. And we had Kate Mulgrew, who is from Star Trek and Orange is the New Black. And she just did her role as if she was on like an hour long procedural. And that was the whole trick was like, can you just play it straight down the middle And, you know, if you say these words with this intent and with this seriousness, it really does work. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: You know, because the scary movie shoots were so loosey-goosey, it was like you were filming with the release date already in place that was like four months away. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Wardrobe was always like, I have no idea what day it is. Is this day one or (laughs) day two?
3: Yeah, I've been on those sets where it's like, everyone is yeah. just dying. Yeah.
1: But they would always call in hip stand-ups to come in and guest. Okay. Not guest, but for like yeah. small bit roles in the scary movie series. And on set, we would be laughing so hard, but it doesn't translate as well to the audience.
3: I've always said that. I like, if somebody is cracking everybody up on set, it's going to be the part that's going to be cut out of the movie. Very rarely does it crack. Crossover
1: totally.
3: Everyone's like, "Oh my god, he kills it! He kills it!" And then you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, it's barely in the movie because it didn't work."
1: On set of filming that movie, I felt really lonely. Like I sum it up easily by saying I thought I was going to get fired every day, which was and was not true. But I really felt like the other actors, everybody was nice. I adored right. Regina right off the bat, but I was so new. I remember turning to my co-star on day one when Kenan called action, or our first AD. That's probably what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember turning to my co-star and saying, "What? What, what do we do? Like, I don't, I don't know." Who. He's like, "Say your line." I was oh. like, uh. "And I was so naive."
3: I made a New Year's resolution a couple of years ago and I bring it up a lot. I may have told you this. My New Year's resolution was to be a little bit more naive because I do think that as we get older and we experience more and more stuff, we can get jaded about things.
1: Totally. You know,
3: and it's like, it's okay to be a little naive.
1: Let's go back to the enthusiasm Yeah,
3: phase. come on. I'm loving this. I feel like I've known parts of this about you, but I feel like I'm getting to understand you a little bit more now. Like, I feel like I'm getting a better picture here from high school to this part of your life. Yeah. Everybody makes these like jump assumptions about people, right? And this is like kind of going back to the naive part of it. It's like, well, instead of bringing all this baggage, good baggage, bad baggage to somebody like we make all these things like, okay, well, you have this, you have that. I think this, I think that. And you kind of paint a picture of somebody before you even let them show you who they are in a way. And I think that's important to kind of lose that a little bit and be more open to people and letting them tell you their story as well. Instead of just being like, I got it. Here's the two facts that I know and I can paste that all together. It's a tricky thing because we also live in a business and we also work in a business where I think people just want to pigeonhole you, put you in a box and be like, that's who you are. That's what you do. To me, my best experiences, my best working relationships has been like people who know me who will take a chance on me and let me do something completely different because I feel like the only people that will kind of do that to you are your friends and yourself if you force yourself into a spot. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. It reminds me of the career of Bob Odenkirk. Oh, yeah. The exploring of different ideas.
3: It's also perseverance, too. Totally. Bob's been around forever. Like, I remember hearing a story about Bob Odenkirk... It was years ago where they wanted him to be on Weeds and his agent or somebody said, oh, no, no, he won't do that. And then Kevin Nealon got the part. But it was like he turned it down because he was afraid to do a drama or whatever and then got Breaking Bad. But it's like this weird thing how your career can take all these different things.
1: Oh, it's hard to turn things down.
3: I mean, look, I've turned down things and I hope that I've made the right decision. I've also accepted things that I feel like this is going to be great and it hasn't been. But the experience has been nice.
1: It's true. You learned from all of it. Yeah. Paul, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite movie?
3: I think a lot of people, whenever they think about movies, like my favorite movies, they tend to answer with a highfalutin choice, like a choice that makes them seem smart and well-rounded and... Just, wow, what a film connoisseur. And I I just want movies that make me feel good. Like movies that I watch a ton. And Ghostbusters is the movie that I love so much that I've watched probably the most out of any movie. And I think it like combines all the good stuff that I love, which is like a little bit of sci-fi, a lot of comedy, great actors. And I don't know, I just really like it.
1: There's also something really interesting in it's like your mom's cooking. There's so much nostalgia steeped in your choices.
3: Yeah, they're very much movies I grew up with. Like, I love movies now and I see a ton of movies, but these are the comfort ones. It's like, when it comes to Christmas time, I want to be watching like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Home Alone. Like, I want to go back home into these movies that I never get sick of.
1: I definitely could not watch The Golden Girls forever, but (laughs) it gives me a similar feeling that I imagine you associate with that kind of safety. Are you a sentimental, nostalgic person in general?
3: I think I am. I don't live in the past. And I'm not, like, defined by my past, but I enjoy the way certain things make me feel like i think i'm more steeped in some traditions like i like certain things at christmas time i like the pomp and circumstance of things not necessarily like i long for the thing that i once had as much as like oh it's this time of year i want to make cookies oh it's here let's go and do this
1: what's also interesting about your choices is that they're all very structural comedies
3: yes I guess so, yeah.
1: It is like your expectations and level of satisfaction are met exactly when they're supposed to.
3: It's like down the middle, 80s comedies in all different ways. But people, I guess, that were influential to me, the people that made me want to do stuff.
1: What's your favorite scene in Ghostbusters?
3: I think I really like Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray. And I think that first time he goes over to her house because... There's just something so fun about the two of them together. Sigourney Weaver, who I think is amazing, and she's obviously such an amazing actress, but can do action and comedy and drama. What I like about Sigourney Weaver also, just to say one more thing about her, is talking about somebody that's getting laughs. I think that like to react off of Bill Murray, you know, and be able to steal it. Yes,
1: her presence is a distinction. Yeah,
3: I think that that's really important. And then I'm also looking at that list and I'm going, oh, well, there's some people in some of these, you know, it's like it's interesting to see how times have changed. I want to ask you, I'll ask you my question. And if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to answer it.
1: That feels awfully fair. Thank you.
3: But I was actually thinking about you because, you know, you just did this press tour and I know that like so much stuff will get run with like right away. And I wanted to know what it was like after Watch What Happens Live when you talked a little bit about Ivan Reitman.
1: Did I talk about it there? I don't know if I talked about it. There or was it there? Oh, no, was it? It was on my podcast and I decided to release it. It was with Lena Dunham.
3: Oh, right. That's what it was. Sorry.
1: But it was a story that I had mentioned but never specified Ivan.
3: Yeah. So did you experience any, not fallout, but like, was there a reaction? Was there something that you were surprised at?
1: Well, first of all, I talked about my first day of shooting on the show and they had already been shooting for like a week and a half. This is my super ex girlfriend. We were doing a night shoot on the street in New York, and my wardrobe was like this Yves Saint Laurent black turtleneck that they had two of. This was my fighting costume. Wow. I was like launching into a scene with Uma Thurman. Right. On my first day of shooting oh with God. Ivan Ripon in New York. And I was in hair and makeup getting my final touches and my hair designer like swept her arm and in the process knocked over this giant jar of wig glue oh my God. onto my Eve Saint Laurent
3: sweater. Oh my God.
1: And you know that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah, like yeah, yeah. tar. Oh. So everybody's sweating. Everybody's terrified. And I, my heart is just pounding. Everyone's scrambling. I'm like shaking with nerves. 25 minutes later, I'm rushed to set. I can hear the first AD like, where is she, where is she, where is she? So I walk up to set underneath the big lights and I'm alone. Uh. But I can see the crew members or whatever. And Ivan Reitman came up to me It was like 10 feet away from me. But still, everybody else is on this periphery because Uma hadn't arrived yet because I hadn't arrived yet. Of course. I'm the lone (laughs) actor. (laughs) And he just tears into me. He's like, Annie, we're not this kind of set. You're like, you can't behave like this, Annie. And you're not doing anything. I was shaking and I was looking around aghast. Like no one's, has he not been, man, of course I wanted to be fucking punctual. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he just laid into me. I was looking around, holding back tears like... I couldn't believe the AD department wasn't saying, hey, hey, Ivan, it's not her fault. It wasn't her fault, okay?
3: No, but this is the thing. And by the way, you got to read that Gina Davis book because that was her first day on a movie with Bill Murray where Bill Murray like dragged her out in front of 100 people and started screaming at her in the middle of the street because she was late because wardrobe had not given her the right top. And it was like right after she won an Academy Award.
1: Oh, God.
3: But this idea of like, Humiliation breeds something. I was watching that Nexium documentary, the new one, The Val, part two. They were saying part of this thing in the cult was this idea of the leader never being happy with you and always making you feel like you weren't doing a good enough job. And that was the way that people like never wanted to leave and felt like they needed to do better and and lean in and lean in and lean in. And I think there is this mentality and so fucked up to embarrass somebody like that's like gone on in this business for such a long time. It's like, it's the only thing that I can think of that will wreck every instinct and urge that you have to be creative, to be publicly humiliated.
1: So my strategy for that shoot was to lay low. Right. Which sucks because you're there to be funny. I was terrified of everything. So then later on, we're doing this scene on a ladder and I'm on a ladder. We were like in an office building. I'm wearing this tight gray dress. And right before we start shooting, you know, everybody's there. Ivan comes right up and slaps me on the ass hard. And I giggled.
3: Look, I would have done the same fucking thing. I would have done the same thing.
1: So these were the stories I told to Lena. Yeah. It's not an incident that I think about a lot. Sure. And I ran into him at parties and it was totally friendly and fine. But in hindsight...
3: (laughs) But you tell the story and then it gets spread out. Like all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh my gosh, here it is. And we see it. Yeah.
1: To get to your question, though, my husband and I were flying back from Seattle. After the story ran and i don't know what the consensus was
3: but did people reach out to you
1: yes yeah a couple people but at the airport this paparazzo guy like it felt like a 30-minute conversation with him (laughs) but it was probably more like seven and i hadn't thought about my answers but he said did you wait till after ivan died to like take him down
3: It's a very loaded question to ask.
1: Yeah, Yeah. totally. I said, you know, I'm not going to describe this as like a non-event in my life, but I certainly know that there are victims. And then he said, so what do you say to all the fans of like Ghostbusters? And what do you say to them? And I said, I'm sorry. It was just an event in my life.
3: It's a tricky thing because this is your story, right? And you're telling a story about the way something happened to you. And I think that we also live in a society where until you tell a story like that, people don't often look at things and they go, oh, right. That was a way of behavior. Yeah. You know, and I think that people like open their eyes.
1: Thanks. That makes me feel better.
3: I've been in situations where until someone points out how fucked up it is, or years later, you look back and go like, that wasn't cool. That wasn't right. I think a lot of us take it on ourselves. Like, What did I do wrong here? I don't want to mess up. And then it's like, well, you're not taking down Ghostbusters. You're not taking down anything. You're just telling the story. Anyone can figure out whatever they want about this person and how they want to think about it. But it's not like I can never watch this movie again. It's like, well, no, now you just know something else about this person.
1: You get a good clue If it's a seared memory. Yeah. If it's one that just occasionally ticks in your head specifically, you know? Yeah. That can be a good gut indicator.
3: A hundred percent. What I think is so fucked up is we live in a culture where I think there's this want for people to do exactly what you did, which is just tell a story. You know, you're not writing a book. You're telling a story about something that happened to you and it's your truth and you're telling this thing. And the first question that people are asking you is like, how do you think it affected his memory? It's like, well, no, no. How about me as an actress? And what happened to me? It's like, why are you being put in this position of like, oh, you shouldn't have said that about this person because X, Y, and it's like, Well, that's so fucked up. It's like, this is your thing.
1: I've also had like a few stranger interactions and a couple of people in the industry like say, I'm so sorry that happened to you which it actually feels weird to me. Like, it feels like they're giving me too much.
3: Right. I understand that too. Right. It's like you're just telling a story.
1: Yeah. I got slapped on the ass. Right. And it doesn't hurt anymore.
3: <laughs> right. And it's it's weird. We don't know how to, like, balance what it is.
1: Right. Exactly.
3: But I think there's a, this thing of, if I ever share something that's a little bit darker from my life, you know, whatever it is, I want to put a disclaimer on it because I'm like, I'm not telling you this because I need you to take care of me. Right. I'm just telling this because it's part of a larger conversation of me and my life and I've dealt with this and I'm okay. Yeah. It's tricky. It's a hard line. It is something. It isn't something. It should be acknowledged. And I think to put you under any other questions, it's like the benefit of having this podcast in many ways is like, you get to tell your story. You tell it the way that you want to tell it and that's it. And people will infer what they want to infer from it.
1: I didn't realize that benefit when I started it. What feels the best is talking to people like you and talking to the callers. That's why... I feel really honored when people open up to me and trust me, you know? Yeah.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh
1: Hi, Hi. so nice to meet you guys. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so I lived in Costa
0: Rica the past four years. I'm a landscape designer here. I met my boyfriend four years ago started a landscape design and build mm-hmm. business together. It's doing really great, which is so awesome. That is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I feel like I've always wanted to go get back and get my master's and get a license for landscape architecture. And personally, this is a good moment for me. My boyfriend agrees with me and thinks it's a great idea, but he's got this caveat that's like, if you're leaving for two years, we have to have an open relationship while you're gone. And it was a shock for me because we're pretty serious. Like, we own a business together. We live together. We own property together. Our family spent the last two Christmases together, you know, and we're monogamous right
1: now. Does the subject of marriage come up? You know, once in a while it does. I think
0: that we're both not ready for marriage,
1: which I think is a key factor. So if you were to give a percentage to your desire to get married to him, would you say it was like 60 40
0: I'd probably say like 70, 30.
3: I want to say something because I'm so blown away by what you're trying to do. And I see so many things about this that seem great. But I will say, and I just want to throw it out on the table right away. I feel like I've never really seen an open relationship work. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think it sounds good at a certain point.
1: Yeah. It's just not the kind of relationship that I would want. I mean, how does someone not get hurt, you know?
3: Yeah. And I think that what he is saying is, or at least the way I'm reading it, is if you're going to leave me for that period of time, like I have needs, I have wants, right? Because the truth is, if you were to stay there, he's very happy being in a monogamous relationship. So the question is, like, he may be saying this about an open relationship, but maybe the question is, how can we fix these fears or how can we make this work in a different way? Because I think what he's saying to you ultimately is, I'm afraid to be alone. Because when he's not looking for a monogamous relationship, he's looking for that support that you're providing him. That's what I'm seeing.
1: I like where you're going with this, Paul, but Maya, has he cheated on you before?
3: Never. I mean, as far as I know, we had that conversation I and mean, you've been loyal to me this whole
2: time. Why are you asking for this now? And he said, Yeah, I've
1: never. Mm-hmm. I'm also wondering what happens to your company when you're gone, because it sounds like you are a little more, I don't know, integral.
0: Yeah, we have our skills in the company and, you know, I have a degree in landscape architecture. And so in the design side and in the office, I'm good at having client meetings and he's more like He can make anything happen outside, like he's an installer and he knows Mm -hmm. how to get a group of guys together and get something better finished. And he's definitely very insecure when it comes to like having a
3: conversation about design. I feel like your partner isn't about penalizing you for wanting to get a better education to be able to help the company. I think he's really afraid about how hard it will be for him. And I guess maybe the question I want to ask before I get into 7030 is in your relationship now, take everything off the table. What is it like? Are you the caretaker for him? Like, are you the person that makes dinner? Are you the person that makes sure that the house is together? Are you the person who organizes events? Are you that kind of person or is it equal? Like, what does that look like?
0: It's pretty equal. You know, we each kind of take on different tasks. I definitely make sure the house is together. Like I buy the toilet paper kind of thing. Right. But he takes care of a lot of things. Like he always makes sure my car is working and make sure it gets
2: cleaned. Got
1: it. Yeah. Like it's pretty balanced. I guess I'm just a little troubled that his go-to was, let's have an open relationship versus how can we make this work? What were your marriage conversations like?
0: I think, you know, the conversations that we have had about marriage, which aren't many, are like, he'll say, oh, like, if we get married, it's going to be like when we're 40 and we've been together for like 30 years or something, you know? And I think it's less the fact that he doesn't want to marry me and more that like marriage isn't so sacred to him.
3: Well, I was wondering about that, too, because I do feel like right now, like I'm getting older and I wonder like where people even fall on marriage in that sense of like, do you need to do that as a commitment there? Because what we're saying is they are committed. They're in a monogamous relationship. They've been there. They enjoy each other's family. They own property together. I think it's hard for you to be put in a position where you have to choose growing versus potentially losing something that's a very hard position to be in
0: exactly yeah that's what i'm struggling with it's like i either i'm gonna go but i'm either gonna be kind of dealing with this confusion with my partner or i'm gonna be dealing with this new breakup and dealing with that when i'm just getting there you know
1: right right and i'm so glad you're going That shows a lot of strength. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you're doing so well and that you're really good at your job, which you can always carry with you. Yeah, I have that with me. Yeah. You write in your letter that monogamy is very important to you. Mm -hmm. And it's not as important maybe to other people. It is to me. It makes me feel good because it is personal to me. You know, this is the agreement that suits me very well. Mm -hmm. And if that is important to you, which it sounds like it is, I don't think you can necessarily force his hand here. And I wonder if there might be some sort of like in-between solution.
3: This relationship is important to you, it seems like. It seems like this relationship is going well. It seems like your business and your relationship could thrive with this education that you're going off to get. And maybe what you do is take it three, six months at a time. Let's not worry about the two years.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful idea, Paul.
3: Yeah, like, why don't we just (laughs) commit to three months and then let's evaluate in three months. Let's see what we're missing. Let's see what we're not having. Let's figure out a way that we can get him there or you back there, Let's figure that out because I think two years, if you say, I'm not going to see you for two years, that's scary to me. I would be nervous about that.
1: I'm just 45. The years (laughs) go by like nothing anymore. (laughs) I'm really practical about it. You know, like
0: I say two years and I'm like, listen, it's two years. It's four semesters. Each semester is three months. I get December off. I get three months in the summer off and then say I come down a week. And then he comes up a week. We're really talking like three weeks at a time, probably be not seeing each other.
1: I love that. Yeah. But Maya, tell him why. You know what I mean? Tell him that you love him, that monogamy is important to you. He's a very safe place in your life, you know? But I love, Paul, your idea of like Mm -hmm. assessment regularly.
3: Yeah, because the truth is what you're building professionally and romantically, you've put a lot of time in and it can go really great. And I think there's a lot of fear And a lot of nervousness. And I think if you can try to figure out from him, you know, more than like open relationship, what does he really want from that? Like, what is he really asking for? And I think that's going to be a really big question. And it's like, do you just want to bone? Or are you looking for something? Like, I think part of that, he may not even know what he's looking for. But I think this idea of like three weeks at a time seems really manageable in a world of, you know, video conferencing, phone calls. Totally. And I think that taking it small, and not making any big decisions and saying that we can constantly reevaluate and talk because you may also feel like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing something. I may have an idea, like give yourself both those things, but he's not saying I want to break up with you. I think he's saying, I'm scared of being alone. That's all I'm saying is take it slow.
1: And you should do your evaluations too. Yeah. Yeah. I love it that you're doing so well and oh, thank you. you're you young. You've got all these amazing adventures I love it that when you talk about your work, you smile, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. And good for you. Thank you so much.
3: I think you're going to do great. I'd love to see how it works out. And congratulations on going to school. And I believe you will be able to get through this. It's daunting. And look, it could also be, you know, if it is just a sexual part of this thing that he's like nervous about, like maybe there's ways to figure out how to spice up all that. There's a lot of things. There are a lot of things you could be doing. There's a lot of things, you know, and that's on both of you.
1: Zoom sex. <laughs> And Maya, lean on the people that are proud of you, people you trust. Yeah, love that. Yeah, thanks for that advice.
3: And I also think that sometimes saying something like this, versus actually doing it are two different things. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep on having these conversations. Keep on going deeper. I think that's a big thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think like the long distance is going to be like the next, you know, if we're like, okay, we're going to stay together. Then it's like, okay, it's long distance. And yeah, Yeah. just take it piece by piece. Like you're saying.
1: Yeah. And if this guy makes you really happy and fills your heart with love, I would just encourage you guys to just be gentle with each other. Mm -hmm. Like think about him positively. Send him something every once in a while buy him a funny gift or whatever. It will take a little effort if you want this to work, but I'm just so excited that you're doing this. Thank you so much, guys.
3: Yeah, thank you. Good luck.
1: Thanks. Thanks for the advice. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Paul, before our next call, I need to ask you something. Okay. What's your favorite scene in Back to the Future?
3: Oh my gosh, that's a really great question. My favorite scene in Back to the Future. I will say this. You know, a lot of films that I like love brought out habits that I wanted to have, but never really paid off on. Like I wanted to like learn how to ride a skateboard and play guitar because of Marty McFly. And then when I couldn't do it immediately, I left both of those things behind. But I'm also like slightly ADD. I'm all in on getting a guitar and all in on skateboarding. But that movie, when you think about it, at the end of the day, it's like, he's skateboarding behind trucks. He's hanging out with this old man. There's a lot of things in there. If I'm a parent, I'm worried about my kid in high school. Like, What is he up to? This is not a good relationship.
1: I always think of the Calvin Klein underwear scene.
3: Oh, that's a great scene.
1: Or the diner, maybe.
3: Diner's a great scene. I always think about Mayor Goldie Wilson. But you're right. The Calvin Klein underwear scene is pretty great. Uh, Oh, my gosh. I mean, that and maybe where he dresses up as Darth Vader and plays the rock music. That's a weird movie because I think I just love the concept of it. I just love going back and seeing your parents and kind of getting them right or figuring it out how to get rid of their anxieties.
1: What are your thoughts about Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
3: I mean, I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off was another one of those movies that I watched. Fills me with joy. It's amazing.
1: It has poignancy. When they're going through the museum.
3: It's beautiful.
1: Just incredible. Sexy Sloan. Oh,
3: Mia Sarah, the best.
1: Hey, Charlie. Hey. Hi. Thank you so much for writing in. Paul is so good at advice. Oh,
3: no. Now now she's put me on that.
1: Great. <laughs> Will you
2: tell us what's going on? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be talking to you guys. I'm losing it right now. Um, but, oh, my gosh. So, basically, the question is, why does it keep happening where I am attracting these men who are in relationships? It's never a case where I know about it. It's always I find out way later, like, oh, my God, he
1: had a girlfriend. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You think you're in a relationship exclusively and then you find out that this person has been with somebody else for like two years or
2: something? No, I've never been in a relationship with anybody. It's always just people I've been talking to and think it's heading in that direction. And I mean, I think like the first time I didn't talk to anybody, any boys up to like sophomore year of high school. My parents had like this dramatic divorce and I was like, I'll never talk to anybody. Like I'll never be in a relationship.
1: Were you kind of bitter about love or in combination with that anger, were they also conservative? Like they not want you to date or anything like that? Not at
2: all. They were like, where's your boyfriend? But I kept losing my parents. It was never just a clean custody thing where it's, you know, my dad's turn and my mom's turn. It was like a fight. And like at one point, my mom kidnapped us. So it was this whole dramatic thing. And then we didn't see her for years. And at one point she called me and she was like, I need you to pretend that I died in a car crash. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It was like that day I like lost my mom. And I told her right after that, which I regret telling her this because I feel like it's so sad for a mom to hear. I was like, I'll never love anyone again. Like, I can't do this ever again. It was just like the heartbreak from losing my parents repetitively and my siblings, like I lost everything at one point. And so I think that definitely sent me in a trajectory of just sure. being like anti, anti any kind of relationship
1: like your defenses are already high as a teenager yeah but that was like you have like a blockade around you yeah
2: and I think it's still here and I think that might be why I attract these guys you know they're unavailable guys but again it's not that I've done it on purpose so there was this guy I was talking to for a whole year And at first, he didn't have a girlfriend. There was no girl in the picture. Was this just online? Did you ever meet him in person? It was in person, completely in person. I actually worked for him. Oh. And then like a year later, I find out he is in this like serious relationship. Like she didn't want me in the picture at all. She didn't know about me or she knew I worked for him. Were you guys physical? We were. Yeah. And then that got bad. Like I didn't want to be anymore. And then he still like wanted to be. And so that got kind of dark and I got out of that. And I was like, I will never, ever be with a guy who's involved with another girl at all again. And then I go to Hawaii on vacation and I'm walking through a farmer's market. I see a really cute little dog in this little tent. I go up to pet the dog and the guy's like, oh, hi. And he's like, I'll give you a facial. It was like a spa. And so I go in this back room with him and it's in the chair. And it all seemed really normal. He was really like friendly, but I thought like he's a salesman. So he starts to give me this facial and my eyes were closed and he made a joke. He's like, haha, don't worry, I won't kiss you. And I was like, "Yeah, I would hope so. And um, next thing I know my eyes closed, he does kiss me. What? And I'm like, whoa, yeah, yeah, this random guy. And I wasn't like giving him any signals or anything. And he had just told me all about his divorce and how sad he was, all this stuff before. And then he was kissing me. So I was like, oh, no, oh I can't do God. this. And then I go to leave. Like, I get up. And it was weird. Like, there's stuff all over my face. I'm like a mess. And I go to leave. I can't get out the door. It was, like, locked. And he, like, went and he picked me up. And then he was like moving his fingers towards like that area. And I was like, no, I have to go. I need to go. And so like I get out of there. And beforehand, he had given me his number before it got weird because I was in Hawaii. He's like, I have a lot of recommendations for you. I thought, oh, cool. Local info. Then like a month later, I get a call from his wife and she's like, we're not divorced. And he wants me to have another child. And I need to know if he's cheating on me or not so I know if I should have this child with him or not and I was like oh my gosh like I felt so bad for her I told her like what happened I was like we didn't do anything but like obviously he tried he wanted to how did she absorb that this
1: is a terrible story Charlie I know I know,
2: I know. I'm so sorry <laughs> I think she knew. I was just a like confirmation and I was like, you know, what do you need? Like, you do need to get out of there because yeah, he's no good. So that happened. And during this whole span, I mean, it's been five months now. I was talking to this guy. At the time it'd been probably three months, and we were pretty close. We we're like just really good friends and we were friends with benefits. And that happened. And I texted him out of the blue after this Hawaii thing. I'm like, you don't have a girlfriend, right? Almost as a joke. Like I was like a hundred percent sure he didn't anyway. Oh shoot, I thought you knew. And I was like
1: Wow. Yeah, I was like, No. I thought you knew. What? what? Oh, I didn't tell you about that part? No, no, <laughs> wow. no. no. That's, that's, yeah, time.
2: Yeah. Well, and so I told him I can't talk to you anymore. Like just right then and there. Even though it was really hard. Like I liked him a lot. Like we had a lot of fun. Good for you.
3: Yeah, and I wanna say just right off the bat. I don't think that you're doing anything. I don't think that you are bringing this energy
1: to you. Absolutely, Paul.
3: Now, can you avoid it? Who knows? But we could talk about that. But don't think that you could be doing anything differently. You're living your life. You're you. And it just shows how many kind of creepos are out there.
1: I also don't know about the whole idea of friends with benefits, especially if you're looking for a real relationship. You know, you're spending time. You could be spending somewhere else. And if or when you or your friend do find someone else, there's the untangling and maybe explaining this to the new person. If you're going to be honest with them, someone will be hurt at some point. Yeah.
3: I have a couple of thoughts. I don't know you, but I'm meeting you. You want to be in a relationship, right? You're looking to be in a good relationship, right?
1: I think
2: so. Before this, I was like, I can't do more than a friends with benefits. I think that goes back to the wall I built yeah. during my childhood. I think I'm trying to grow out of that now and be more open.
3: Well, clearly you have this issue with like being able to fully trust somebody because in your life you've experienced the closest people to you not being able to trust them and feeling manipulated by them. So I so understand that and wanting to make sure that, you know, you bring your fullest self to whatever relationship. The only thing that I would maybe recommend or that I would say might be the way to go about this is Maybe to look for some dates that are, I sound so old when I say, but like try to connect with people in a place where single people are trying to connect, whether that is like an app or it's a thing. So then in a weird way, I feel like if you can get into a relationship, then I think that will actually help you be better for yourself and help that trust issue.
1: I think that's a really good idea. Charlie, how particular are you when it comes to the guys you choose? The guys you are interested in? Do you like? Do you have a physical type? Honestly, a lot of the guys I've been with,
2: I've not really been physically attracted to at all. I, <laughs> I
1: won't say at all. Well, but... maybe we start there. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you tend to date older? Yeah, I'm
2: 21, and they're normally in their thirties. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, we got to start there.
1: Yeah, because you're used to also being in these relationships that no one is defining. So you don't know where you stand. The friends with benefits. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a way to have things kept loosey-goosey, which, like I said, is fine for some people, not for me. And I want you to feel good. I think when anybody starts throwing that term around, you should definitely be skeptical of. And I like the idea of you dating younger people because older people can be patronizing in a relationship, you know? Like, you're always like, oh, you silly thing, whatever. You're like just 21, whatever. What I think I'm
3: realizing, and I think maybe I'm looking at this in a different way now, hearing from you, Charlie, too. My thought is this what do you want? Then you don't even have to know. Like, I think anything below 25, just let life hit you the way you like. You don't need to be in a relationship. Yeah. You could be spending this time working on yourself. Totally. And if you want, to find a relationship, then there are outlets to go do that. If you want to just be like, I want to be single and I want to like figure myself out and I want to work on my own trust. Great. You can do that and you can do that solo. If you want to just be casual, be fucking casual. But as long as you're doing it where you have a sense of autonomy, like these creepers, like you're an attractive young woman. And I think there's always going to be creepers out there. And I've never been in that position where guys are descending on me. So I know it's a harder (laughs) thing to navigate, but you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. What do you want? And I think that's the question. That
1: Exactly. It's about listening to your gut, I think, which took me a long time to learn. Like I spent my entire 20s with a guy that made me feel so bad. And I wasn't like listening to myself at all. I think the 20s are like that tough place. It's like the pressure to get everything going.
3: A hundred percent. I think this is a time for you to explore, feel, work on yourself, and also make mistakes, do whatever, as long as you're not feeling like you're being taken advantage of and you're sticking up for yourself. But it's a time where you're finding your voice and finding what you want. And I think you can explore that in so many different ways. And honestly if you're finding out these things about guys being in a relationship, I think then maybe you just have to ask directly Yeah, and ask it up front. Because honestly, if anyone asked me up front, if I was in a relationship, if I'm not, it shows, well, maybe you're interested in that. Well, forward something. And if they are, then you just stop that relationship, you nip it in the bud. And it may be a weird thing to ask. It's like, you don't have to ask it like, hey, before we continue talking, you can bring it up in different ways. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you want to make sure and you can be honest with yourself and just kind of ask because, you know, you should just be as happy as you want to be. But don't be afraid to ask questions, to walk away or embrace whatever makes you feel good.
1: 100%. Yeah, I think
2: that's great. And I mean, I think I'm so kind of far away from like a serious relationship. And I'm the one who forces, though, the friends with benefits on guys. Never has a guy told me that's what he wanted or what he's looking for, because I've had guys who want to make it a relationship. And I thought we were just friends with benefits. And so that's when I got scared and left was when they wanted to make it more serious. But yet he was already with... That one was a little different. Okay. Yeah, I mean, most of these guys, though, where I actually, like, talked to them and was physical and did friends with benefits, you know, they wanted a relationship. But I wonder, like, are there steps I can take to maybe break down the wall and talk to guys that would want to be in a relationship more serious?
3: But do you want that? And like, if you do, I think it's just about laying it down, not at the beginning. You don't have to be like, you want to be in a relationship, but it's like, you can have these questions.
1: I remember I was such a terrible character judge in my 20s. Yeah. Terrible. No, me too. I like, so, I have yeah. zero instinct. <laughs> yeah. I put myself in a lot of weird situations with this. <laughs>
3: But I also think that people don't know what they want either. And that's okay. Like at this point, like you may meet somebody who's like, I just want to be friends with benefits. And then all of a sudden you have this intimacy, this relationship and they're like, oh, I want more. Now they may have started off friends with benefits. You can't even hold people to oh, what you said. It's like it's emotions. You just don't know. The only thing you can hold people to is like, are they lying to you? Yeah,
1: You have been through a whole lot. Yeah. And that's part of the wall, part of the defense of your story, how you define yourself from your past, which is a lot. And I'm so sorry that your mother in particular didn't know how to love you well. Yeah. That's really painful. I want you to be with people that make you feel safe and that you trust friends, coworkers, guys, anybody that makes you feel safe and that you trust. Yeah, no, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. You'll be able to nurture some of that stuff that you went through, you know? You'll be able to feel safer, I hope.
3: You will, and look, you also are 21. Don't be hard on yourself.
1: Yeah, you're amazing. You're beautiful, you're funny. You have had a whole lot of life experience. I want you to know that. Thank you. And really, like, chew on it, and really absorb it. You need your heart to be filled and your life is just starting. Yeah. Unfortunately, the first chapter was harder for you than for a lot of people. And I'm really sorry. That's like the scars, but they're fading. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I think like one thing that I've learned more than anything in this life is I think people are nervous to have honest conversations. And it doesn't have to be super weighted, but you can kind of always return to something. And it may hurt somebody's feelings if you're like, hey, I thought we were just gonna be friends with benefits. I wanna get out. But if you're finding yourself in a relationship and you're not upset by it, but you're maybe just daunted by, oh my gosh, is this getting too serious? You can also play that out until you feel like it's bad. We all are scared. I always say, like, when people have kids, I'm like, you never 100% wanna have kids. I think you wanna get to about 70% of wanting kids because. You're changing your entire life. So, like, the same thing with relationships. You may be like, I don't know, is this going too fast? But as long as you don't feel like it's bringing you down, like, that's part of the growing process, too. I just think it's sort of like be honest, keep these conversations going. And if you are having these honest conversations with people, I think you'll find that your relationships overall will be better because if it starts off from a place of, like, honesty, people will respect that and you'll respect that and then you can make decisions based on people being honest instead of people feeling like they have to hide each other. Now, creepy dude in the spa kissing you, I guarantee you he's done that to multiple people. Um. So because it's too creepy and probably was trying to like take advantage of a tourist.
2: Yeah.
3: But the other type of people, I would just say like try to just be honest and not that you're not, but if you try to build that into every relationship, like where you actually are, I think people will respect it. And if they don't, fuck them.
1: Yeah. That was awesome. No, that was great. I do think you should rethink how you define friends with benefits because to me it feels like a proactively defensive move. Right. Yeah, I think so. You're already establishing this is what we're gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the people who are cool with it are the ones that are in relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've just made it super easy for them. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, rethink it. Only because I want you to rethink what you want and what makes you feel good.
3: I think that that's perfect advice. And it's sort of like, don't proactively cut yourself off from an experience in any way relationship or otherwise, because it's scary most of the best things that happen to you are scary yeah, and they put you out of your comfort zone and that's okay. And you'll learn from that. And it doesn't mean that it's permanent. I think like what we said earlier, as long as you're not having kids or getting married or buying a house, like you can have other kinds of scares
2: <laughs> <laughs> that
3: don't have to like affect you for the rest of your life.
2: Thanks. I really appreciate you guys. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Charlie. Bye-bye.
1: You're great at this, Paul.
3: Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I think we were just trying to come at it like you've lived it in a way. And I think we were both looking at it in this. How can you be the best version of you? And I think that like not many people do that, like tell somebody in their 20s, like what they should be doing.
1: I think you're completely right. I remember the question, actually, that I was thinking about talking to you about when you've met a celebrity that you've had maybe a disappointing experience with. Do you have the same relationship with their movies?
3: All right. So this is a really interesting question, right? Because I think a lot of this conversation comes up with like Woody Allen, right? And not that I had a personal relationship with Woody Allen, but can you separate the art and the artist? And then if I've had a bad experience with somebody, that's even a more personal experience. I've made it a rule that I don't like to meet anyone that I really, really like love.
1: That is great. Yes, I'm totally down with this.
3: If I'm working with them or something like that, and that works out, then that's something. But it's like, I don't seek it out. I don't try to do it. I actually find that if I can meet somebody on equal footing in some way, that's great. But I've had enough run ins where I'm like, oh, this interaction is not what I wanted it to be. This interaction made me feel weird. And you have to remember that everyone's a person and you catch them in a weird, moment but I don't know I've had some bad experiences but I also feel like nothing that would make me set off something and the way I always think about it with like somebody like a Woody Allen or a Roman Polanski. Is you also are devaluing the work of the people there, and that's not their fault. So like if you say, "Hey, I don't want to watch any Woody Allen movies, you're also saying, Well, then I don't want to see Diane Keaton giving one of the best performances, you know, in Annie Hall, or I don't want to see Faye Dunaway or Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. like it's weird because so many parts go into making a movie. That's why I've kind of been wrestling with it personally. I'm like, there are certain things that actually bring me joy. And I'm not like looking at somebody's life and saying I'm trying to be like them. I'm just saying I enjoy that piece of work from them. And I think a lot of artists are complicated and can be tricky human beings. Where do you fall on that?
1: I find it really difficult to remove myself, Yeah, remove the emotion and enjoy it as a general idea. I was just thinking because I was listening to Unspooled. And my interaction with Keanu Reeves... Okay. I mean, it was brief, but exactly what I expected it to be.
3: See, that's kind of what you want.
1: Do you like genre-bending movies? Or what would you describe as a genre-bending movie?
3: Oh, this is a good question. I want to try to think of like what could be a genre-bending movie.
1: Because I was thinking about the highly structural nature of the movies that you like. So I would maybe describe Get Out... Or Promising Young Woman? Oh,
3: I love Promising Young Woman. I would also throw in something like Ryan Johnson's Brick, which is like a 1940s detective noir set in a high school in present day. Something like that. I like a genre-bending movie. I'm trying to think of like everything, everywhere, all at once, I think has stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like movies that are made for people who love movies are fun, right? Like it's like, oh, we can do this. We can give you comedy. We can give you drama. What's that shark
1: movie? Samuel L. Jackson.
3: Oh, Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Yeah. You can also get stuff like, I mean, I love Blade, that movie with Wesley Snipes, where it's like, oh, that's an action movie, but it's also a horror vampire movie. I love like The Lobster is great or Shaun of the Dead. Things that like kind of are made by people who love movies that then can kind of be a little bit of everything. I think that that's always really fun to see people who are just fans. Like I think Guillermo del Toro is a fan of movies. So there's so much in a movie of his.
1: What are your favorite romantic comedies?
3: Okay. This is a great one. I love a rom-com. Like I am a big rom-com fan from like Harry Met Sally really like burnt into my brain in a great way. I really, really love it. Now, I really wanted to see that new Julia Roberts, George Clooney film. I'm like, I'm all in. I'll be there for that. But I don't know why. Like Again, like you said, like familiarity, like there's a comfort to it. It's like, oh yeah, give me that mac and cheese. Here's some that I love that I feel like are untraditional rom-coms. Out of Sight, the Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney, J-Lo yes, movie. Yep. Tony Scott's True Romance, Christian Slater, uh, Patricia Arquette. Great. Yes. I like Gross Point Blank. I think that's a good one.
1: Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it for a minute, but all right.
3: Punch Drunk Love, Princess Bride.
1: Oh, Princess Bride. I love Bridget Jones's Diary.
3: Classic, right?
1: About a Boy.
3: About a Boy is amazing.
1: Where do you land on Love Actually?
3: I have a mixed feeling about Love Actually. We did a podcast about that on Unspooled and it's tricky, right? Because I had these movies where you watch it and you're like, oh, that was cute. And then you leave. And then like on the car ride home, you're like, what the fuck did that? Wait, what? Like you pull one string and it's like, wait, none of this really all makes sense. And that is how I kind of feel like I once read this thing that George Lucas said. He's like, the audience will leave feeling like they saw something good. If you give them a postscript or if people died and you play a great song on the way out and you're like, oh, yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. That doesn't take away the whole movie. But there are certain directors, that I think, can like candy coat enough stuff. And it's like when you like pick apart Love Actually, the actual relationships in it, it is the worst.
1: And I hate it that I fucking cry when I watch it. That's
3: the problem with it. It's working. It gets me. And I'm like, but fuck you movie it's a tricky one i have a recommendation if you've not read it read lindy west she wrote this essay called shit actually and it is a beautiful breakdown of that movie if you google it it's online
1: oh i can't wait
3: her essay about that is so funny and it just nails it so perfectly we had her on spool because we talked about wrestling with this idea of like i like it but i'm there i'm like it's a tricky thing
1: yeah Like when emotion usurps logic. Yeah. It is kind of a fascinating place to be brain-wise.
3: I totally agree. Now, you also, I mean, with Just Friends, is a a classic rom-com that people love. What is it like to be in that? Is that a movie that you feel like has resonance in a different way than
1: other things that you've done? Oh, that's interesting. It's a big Christmas movie. Right. And it made like 5 million opening weekend. It was a flop. It was critically panned. I'm, of course, totally biased. I do think it's maybe underrated.
3: It's 100% underrated.
1: I loved playing that character.
3: But I think the thing is, like, rom-coms are unfairly reviewed and critiqued. Yes. Across the board. It's like, what do you expect from this? Right. I think the reviewers are like, you made me feel something. Fuck you. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is a thing. And it works. And I think the staying power of that movie It doesn't make a difference how people reviewed it. And we often talk about this on Unspooled, where we read a review of these classic movies. And New York Times is like, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the death of cinema. Spielberg has lost it. Wow. You know, it's like that kind of shit. Like, I feel like I never get caught up in that because things that are fun, things that engage people in a way, I feel like a lot of reviewers get angry at. It's like, oh, I had too much fun here. It's not serious enough or something. And it takes a really interesting reviewer to step away from that and be like, no, it was great. I love that. That was really fun.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I don't remember with House Bunny. Well, I do remember like the New Yorker and New York Times not reviewing it.
3: Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And they reviewed fucking Harold
1: and Kumar go to
3: Guantanamo Bay. Come on. Oh, yeah. And House Bunny's great, too. Thanks. <laughs>
1: I did not want her to have a romantic interest. Mm. I thought that was like an uninteresting part of her journey.
3: Right. It's not like getting out of something and then going right back into it.
1: I was adamant against, I was like, no, this is the kind of guy that she's already been exposed to. Yeah. If we have limited time for this, we need to at least give a semblance of growth. Yeah. So we kind of found a compromise with a, um, I don't know, a less traditional romance. And Colin Hanks was awesome. Yeah. Innocuous, safe.
3: And different. Yeah. But it worked. I mean, look, people love it. And I think that movie, or at least my understanding of it, is that it was a huge hit.
1: I think it surprised people that it made anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look,
3: I will always say my favorite comedies, for the most part, if you look at something like Pop Star or something like that, like these movies from McGruber, these movies that are really funny, that are really good, I think that people don't take chances on all the time going to see them in the theater or they look at them in a different way. And the benefit of like being in the age of streaming is that you actually can make a fun comedy and people will tune into it because there's no stakes to it in a weird way. It's like if I'm paying 15, 20 bucks to go see a Marvel movie and I'm bringing my family and I'm spending like a hundred dollars to go out to see a movie, I need to like be guaranteed that I'm going to love it. And I think that comedy is like, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure I can do it with George Clooney and Julia Roberts because I trust them.
1: Right, right, right. There's definitely like the easy dismissal mentally.
3: I just think that, and this is kind of going back to everything that we've talked about today. It's like we live in a world where I think we are constantly forced to feel like We're not enough. We're not doing enough. We're not enough, right? And I think that we are. And we have to start looking at things and being thankful for what we have, making choices, ending things, embracing things. I feel like people want you to continue doing something for the rest of your life, but there's also growth in stopping stuff. There's also growth in like checking in with yourself. And I think that like, if we check in with ourselves and like, what is actually bringing me joy in this moment, this kind of goes to our callers and everything. It's like, we'll be so much more happy because once we start trying to compete with everything, it makes our lives just such a mess.
1: Oh, that was
3: beautiful. I stumbled on it.
1: Ah, oh, Thank you so much for doing this today.
3: I love chatting with you. It's always the most fun.
1: I love chatting with you.
3: Well, I was looking forward to talking to you. I was excited it was on the schedule. And I came in going like, oh, I'm having a shitty morning. And I knew I was going to come talk to you. And I was like, oh, that'll be fun. That'll actually be fun. I'm looking forward to doing that. And it was. It was amazing. Good. I love it. It was so great talking to you.
1: Thank you. And will you please give my love to June? I will. I cannot thank you enough.
3: What a pleasure.